and uh, Black Pentecostal Church. So that means when I say something, you have free license to say something back to me. All right? Just, just putting that out there. All right, I'll, let me say a word of prayer. Father, um, I can't come up with words to articulate how much we need you and we need your word. Speak to us, Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable. In your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer, Lord, uh, let your people be edified in your name, be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. Man, again, thank you for having me. Um, uh, like David said, I'm in the process of planting Cornerstone Church Detroit. Uh, so, yeah, keep, keep us in prayer. We're trying to, uh, we're trying to get a, 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 a church planting avalanche going on down in Detroit. We want to be a place where people come uh, to get trained for church planting for areas like Flint and uh, Grand Rapids and Saginaw and Toledo. We want to be a place where men come get equipped uh, for urban church planning. So pray for us and pray for our work in Detroit. So yeah, that's enough about me. I'm nobody important. Um, my, my wife is here, who I love so much, love ever so dearly, the love of my life, the wind beneath my proverbial wings. Thank God for her. Uh, yeah, so uh, if you have a Bible or an app or something that tells you what the scripture says, go to Luke 4. That's where I'll be uh, touching down. Luke chapter 4. Tis the season. This is uh, uh, a college basketball fan's dream, unless your team has been uh, decimated as mine was the very first day. Thank you, Michigan State Spartans, for ruining my tournament experience. But this is a college basketball uh, lover's dream. A couple weeks ago, there were wall-to-wall -wall games and uh, I, I, I knew, I know three guys who told me that, I'm not going to tell you, yeah, we have children here. Two children? Oh, okay. Um, that there is an actual, uh, um, there's an actual package deal where you can get a vasectomy during the uh, tournament so you can stay there and watch the tournament the whole day. So that's how serious, that's how serious college basketball is to do I, I promise you, I was just at a church in Lansing, and the pastor said, man, that, that was the best thing, best decision I ever made. I stayed there from Thursday and Friday and watched the games. But um, this is a college basketball fan's dream. Um, and one of the main things we love about the, the NCAA tournament is the upsets, the Cinderella stories, the David versus Goliaths. Um, this year, I believe it was Syracuse. That was the number 10 seed. And they, I think they got pounded last night, but they made it to the Final Four. Um, but one of the things sports lovers, uh, college basketball fans, they love when a Virginia Commonwealth or George Mason, which beat Michigan State again, uh, or Davison or one of these, rant, Butler a couple years ago, love when one of these random teams from, you don't even know where they're from, come and just punch North Carolina or Kansas or Duke, especially Duke, punch Duke in the mouth and knock them out. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a very exciting time. One of the, the, the most shocking and one of the, the, the most celebrated Cinderella stories of all time was in 1985 when the Villanova Wildcats, who barely made it into the tournament, they, they had a record of 19 and 10, and 
the coach, Raleigh Massimino, was like, oh, you know, we may not even make it. But they snuck into the tournament, and they end up beating two number two seeds and two number one. They, they eventually beat the Georgetown Hoyas, who was the overall favorite, with Patrick Ewing and a couple other NBA, future NBA stars. But they came out of nowhere as a number eight seed and won the whole thing. We love a Cinderella story. We love, we love when the proverbial David beats Goliath. One thing, have you ever noticed that God loves a Cinderella story as well? You ever noticed that God loves to save that person and you're like, huh? What? <laughs> him? Him? The former drug addict, the former alcoholic, the former fornicator, they're walking with Jesus now? God loves the Cinderella story. God, God loves to save the people who we think are unstable. God loves to reach down and, and scoop from the bottom of the barrel and say, yep, this one is mine now. Today I want to talk about how Jesus is an equal opportunity savior. Jesus is an equal opportunity savior. So again, we're, we're in Luke 4. Let me set the scene a little bit. In Luke chapter 4, uh, well, first of all, Luke chapter 3, we see the, the baptism of Christ. It's this glorious, ridiculously absurd scene where, where the heavens open and God literally speaks and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and, and then the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And then Jesus goes, in, in chapter 4, Jesus goes through 40 days and 40 nights of fasting and spiritual warfare, literally being tempted by Satan himself. And then we, at the beginning of Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus entering into his public ministry. So in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says, And the news about him throughout the whole county was spreading. Everybody was beginning to talk about this 30-year-old this, this Messiah. And it says, being acclaimed by everyone. So Jesus' public ministry took off like a rocket. If, if Jesus' uh, ministry began in 2016, he'd be preaching at all the conferences. He'd be at, what was it, Together for the Gospel and Gospel Coalition. He had the number one podcast on iTunes. Jesus would be verified on Twitter. I guarantee if Jesus came in 2016, he would be verified on Twitter and on Instagram possibly. His ministry took off like a rocket. In, in verse 16, it, it says that he came to Nazareth, where, which he was, where he was brought up, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood to read. So again, let me set the scene. The, 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 uh, the legend of Jesus is growing. They're talking about how powerful he is. They're talking about, uh, they said that his, he spoke with power, unlike the scribes and Pharisees. So there was a noticeable difference with, with his preaching and his teaching than the rabbis and the scribes and the Pharisees. And people were talking about how, did you, were you there when the heavens opened and God spoke and the Spirit descended? The, 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 the word is going around, and then Jesus strolls up into the synagogue. He stands to read the word of God. And verse 17 says, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling it, he found a place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me uh, to proclaim freedom to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind and the the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So theologians, theologians say uh, that 
that Jesus read part of Isaiah 58, but he also, but he mainly uh, read uh, uh, Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 2. So let, let me give you a brief history lesson, real, real brief history lesson. In, um, in Leviticus chapter 25, God instills this thing called the year of Jubilee, the, the year of Jubilee. So every fifth year, Israel was to take the whole year off, cancel all debts, return all land to the original family owner, and set all the slaves free. So it was a, a, a year of a fresh start. It was to set free all those who were in bondage to debt and to set free all those who were slaves. So the, 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 the backdrop of Isaiah's ministry is Isaiah's prophesying during a time of great oppression. There was, uh, 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 the, remember a couple years ago, it was the big thing about the 1%. The 1% and everybody else was the 99%. There was this great uh, class chasm between the rich and the haves and the have-nots, the widows and the orphans were being neglected. There was unjust lending. There was cash advance places. There was liquor stores. The more things change, the more things stay the same. So it was a time of great, great uh, uh, injustice and oppression of the poor. Contemporary prophets like Amos and Micah, who were prophesying around the same time, is Isaiah spoke against this oppression and this culture of forgetting the, 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 the least and the left behind of society. So despite this, this current time of, of oppression, injustice, class, marginalization of the widows, the lepers, the, the orphans of society, despite this going on, Isaiah, uh, uh, the eagle-eyed prophet, saw uh, one was coming. He said, and the spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he came to preach the good news to the poor and the recovery of, blind, recovery of sight to the, to the blind and to set free the oppressed. There was a great liberator coming. There was one who would break the chains of injustice. Isaiah saw it, and he said, he's coming. And then Jesus walks into the temple reads this passage, and then verse 20 says, and then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. In verse 21, he began by saying, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. So, so again, Jesus is saying that, that jubilee, I am that jubilee. I am that liberator. I am the one that is going to break the chains and set the captives free. I'm going to uh, 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 bless the poor. I'm going to uh, uh, tend to the oppressed. Jesus openly declares that he is the Messiah, openly declares that I am the one that Isaiah prophesied 700 years ago about. Now, today, in 2016, there, there are many... There are many false views of Jesus. Many false views of Jesus. You talk to some people, I talk to some friends, and they would promise and they would swear up and down that Jesus is a Republican. I know, I talk to him. Jesus is a Republican. So, uh, so there's, there's one false image of Jesus, the, the raging Republican Jesus. The other side, you got the liberal, live your own truth, Love everybody and recycle Jesus and recycle. 
Got and recycle. That's important. There, there are many different views of Jesus. But the one I like most is I love life coach Jesus. I love life coach Jesus. Je life coach Jesus is you add me to your crappy life. Add me to your miserable existence and I'll fix it. I'll fix your marriage. I'll fix your money. I'll, I'll, I'll fix everything and I'll make you happy and all that good stuff. I'm life coach Jesus. Add me to your crap. I'll fix your crap. And I expect nothing in return because I'm your genie in a bottle. Jesus is not a life coach. Newsflash, I know it's shocking to some, but Jesus is, is, is not a life coach. Jesus is a liberator. Jesus didn't come to, 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 to fix our money, and, to, and that's important, but Jesus came primarily to set us free from Satan, from sin, and from shame. Jesus said, I'm the liberator. You don't just add me to your life and I fix everything and you can expect nothing in return. Jesus declared that he came to break the chains of sin, destroy the yoke of Satan, and to open the eyes of the spiritually blind so they can see the glory of the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do. Again, Jesus is a liberator, not just a life coach. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, we have been set free through Christ. And John chapter 8 verse 36 says, who the Son set free is free. And Jesus came to break the chains of bondage. That's what he came to do. Let me ask, just ask you a few questions, a few rhetorical questions. You don't have to answer out loud. But, but, but have, you, have you been set free by this liberator? Or are you still spiritually blind and chained to sin? Notice this. No, 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 notice what Jesus didn't say. Notice what Jesus did not say. Jesus said, I, I, I come to, to, to proclaim the good news, to preach the gospel to the poor, to set the captives free, to, to uh, give recovery of sight to the blind. Notice what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not come... Jesus did not say, I come to sit and stay. Or I came to say, uh, uh, sit here and just, just chill and relax. And I came here for comfort. Notice what Jesus did not say. Jesus said, I came. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach freedom, to recover the sight of the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Notice this. Jesus did not come for passivity. Notice this. When, 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 when the spirit of God it comes into your life. And when you have a true encounter with God, passivity is not an option. That's what he said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And because the spirit of the Lord is upon me, it is propelling me to do something. When you truly encounter God, uh, indifference, passivity is not an option. When someone in, in, experiences the power of God, it propels them to mission. It propels them to action. Let me call a few witnesses. Ask Abraham. Abraham, in, in Genesis chapter 12, when he encounters God, God says, go into a land that I'm going to show you. Said, leave your father's house, leave your relatives, and go. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to tell you later. Just go. 
Exodus chapter 3, when, when Moses encounters this burning bush, he's having this dialogue with God, and God says, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah, he says, in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, says, I saw the Lord, I saw him high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And, and he's having this, this interaction with God, he's just blown away with how uh, magnificent and glorious God is. And God, uh, one of the seraphim, takes a coal off the altar, and he purifies Isaiah's tongue. And then God asked Isaiah a question. He said, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, send me, I'll go. I asked, asked the four fishermen, asked the four fishermen when they were on the Sea of Galilee and they saw Jesus come and Jesus came strolling through and Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they left everything that they had and they followed Christ. Asked the woman at the well in John chapter 4, after she has this discourse, she has this dialogue with Jesus, and Jesus gives her that living water. She went home, and she told everybody about him. He said, I met a man. He must be the Christ. He told me everything about myself. When you truly encounter God, you're propelled to action. The spirit of the, 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 spirit of the living God and passivity don't mix. Notice what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to set the captives free. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to declare the good news to the poor. You can't sit and be idle and be indifferent once you encounter the true and living God. On May 27th, 1896, Massive tornadoes swept through St. Louis. Unfortunately, thousands perished. $2.2 billion worth of damage swept through the city of St. Louis, Missouri. It took them, I think, 10 to 12 years to build St. Louis back up from the ground up. And in 1871, there was a great fire. It was called the Great fire of Chicago that burned virtually all of the city of Chicago, which is a massive city. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, God is a spiritual tornado. God, the, the, the God we serve is a spiritual tornado, like the great fire in Chicago and, and, and like those tornadoes, that, that those massive tornadoes that swept through St. Louis. Once God comes in, he destroys everything. When you truly encounter him, when you truly encounter the spirit of the living God, he destroys your consumer mentality. He burns your selfishness. He shatters your idols. When you truly encounter him, it becomes all about him and not about you. Who is, who, who is the spirit whispering to you that you need to uh, uh, declare the gospel to? Who has God been putting on your heart that you say, I'm going to pray for this person? But no, he really wants you to share the gospel with that person. He wants you to establish a relationship with that person. What is the spirit of God whispering to you and has been whispering to you for the longest that you need to do for the kingdom? 
oh, I'm just so busy. I, I don't have any more time. I just got so much going on. The kids have soccer. I have this. I got so much going What is the Spirit of God whispering to you? What has the Spirit of God called you to explicitly do that you have not done? Again, once you encounter God, he, he just propels you to action. Have you just become a passive recipient of his grace or are you actively serving him to advance his kingdom? Luke chapter 4, back, verse 22, it says, They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. And yet they said, isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son? So Jesus comes home, comes to his home synagogue, delivers uh, his trial sermon, as if it were, delivers it flawlessly. People are speaking well of him. Everything is great. He says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the liberator. Everybody's on cloud nine. They were amazed. Fairytale ending, right? Everything was great after that, right? Jesus had to go mess it up. Jesus had to go mess it up. See, me, I would have walked out on that one. It would have been mic drop. Good night, everybody. But Jesus, Jesus had to mess it up. Let's keep reading. Verse 23 through 24, it says, no doubt. Jesus, now, just Jesus is speaking. Now, uh, so he went from praise to attempted murder in a, in a, in a, in that quick. Verse 23 says, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Doctor, heal yourself. I assure you, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. In the midst of being celebrated, Jesus began to tell the people that they're going to reject him. What? Huh? Jesus, we would never reject you. Come on, we love you. We love your blog. We love you, Jesus. I pre-ordered your book on Amazon. I, I, I would never, we, we would never reject you. We love you. Just completely out of left field, Jesus brings up two Old Testament narratives. Let's keep reading. Verse 25. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day when the skies were shut up for three years and six months. Uh, while a great famine came over the land, and yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but a widow at Zarephath in Sidon? And in Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had a serious skin disease, yet not one of them was healed, only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. And if we keep reading, we'll see that they tried to grab Jesus and kill him. Notice this. I, I love Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. Notice this. Even when God himself, God himself, even the, God incarnate in the flesh, even when God brings up race, people get ticked off. <laughs> that means it's unavoidable. Well, I don't care. <laughs> Jesus himself delivered a message 
about racial inclusion, and they tried to kill him. Does not bode well for us, my brother. <laughs> Does not bode well. But 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 can you ima- can you imagine? Can you imagine the, going from praise to attempted murder in a matter of minutes? Jesus referenced a, a, a very dark time in Israel's history. Israel were in a proverbial timeout from God because of their idolatry, because of forsaking his commandment, because of their sin. God sent a famine. God said, y'all have at it. You're on your own. And God had the audacity. God had the unmitigated goal to reach past Israel and reach to heathen, disgusting, uncircumcised, idol-worshipping Gentiles. Again, this, Jesus is saying, I'm the liberator. I'm, I'm the one that's going to set the captives free. But guess what? It's not just y'all. Not, not only am I going to set the free in Israel, I'm going to reach to Greece. I'm going to reach to Africa. I'm going to reach to Asia. I'm going to reach to India. God, God is saying, uh, 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 my hand, the, the, the hand of the liberator, is not just going to set Jews free, but he come to break chains and come to deliver all people. What is Jesus saying? Again, he's saying I am an equal opportunity savior. Equal Opportunity Savior. In his amazing book, which I highly recommend, highly recommend this book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala, he tells a story of an interaction that changed his ministry forever. He was a new pastor. He's a pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, uh, I'm going to say choir, <laughs> Brooklyn Tabernacle Church with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Um, so he was a, he's a pastor there, pretty new to the ministry. This was either his first or second Easter. So he's busy, and the, the church is full. People, people are, are, are packed in that building, and a homeless man kind of sh- comes and strolls in the back. Man that is clearly homeless, reeked of alcohol, reeked of body odor, comes and sits in the back. He says, the man smelled so bad, people just, they didn't even care. how they, don't even, they didn't even care if he was offended. They just got up and walked away from him. So at the end of the sermon, at the end of the service, he kind of waited around. He stayed there, waited till everyone left, just sat in the back. No one approached him. No one offered him anything. Assembler recalls that he just waited till everyone left. And then at the end of the service, the man begins to walk toward him. So Assembler says, you know, I, I begin to reach in my pocket to get, g- gather up some change. And as the man got close to him, he says, I don't want any change. I want that Jesus you were just talking about. Again, Jesus is an equal opportunity savior. He come to save the poor, come to save the black, the rich, the white, the Asian. Jesus came to set free all who are bound by sin. He's an equal opportunity savior. One of my favorite passages of scripture that, that, that has rocked me 
It's Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. What do we separate on in this country? Gender, ethnicity, and class. That's what we separate on. And what did Jesus say? There's neither male nor female, slave nor free, class, Jew or Greek, ethnicity, for we are all one in Christ. I love in, in Ephesians chapter 2, after just laying down the gospel flat, just laying it down, we're saved by grace through faith, and we are all God's workmanship made for good works. Then Paul says something interesting. He says that Jesus was the wrecking ball that tore down the wall of division. That now we are one. We are one new man, not two separate men, one new man in Christ Jesus. Jesus is weaving together a mosaic of both genders and various class levels and all races and all ethnicities to make one beautiful mosaic called the church. The unfortunate reality is the church in America has done an extremely poor, and that might be underselling it, has, has done an extremely poor job of representing this one new man. Because of the the, 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 the blatant racism, the blatant exclusion from the white uh, Protestant evangelical churches going all the way back from slavery into the 60s. And the bitterness and the resentment and unforgiveness from the black church because of said racism. America's church has, has just lost our ability to speak to race, to our country. The church in America is actually more racially divided than our country. For example, one of my one of my heroes in the faith, Richard Allen, born a slave, born a slave in Delaware, along with Absalom Jones, staged the very first sit-in, the very first protest in American history. Guess where they protested. Guess where the very first sit-in was. St. George Church, United Methodist Church, in 1887. They had the audacity to sit and kneel and pray in the whites-only section, and the deacons tried to drag them out. And they said, oh, I'm not leaving until I finish praying. And they left that church. All of the black congregants left that church and started the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the AME Church, which still exists today and the Church of God in Christ, and the National Baptist uh, Convention. Many, many, many other denominations were spawned out of racism and injustice. 1963, a uh, man you may have heard of, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, you know, may have heard of him. There's a street named after him in every city of America. It's usually one of the worst, too. That's a running joke, but it's true. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a crusade to end uh, injustice in our country, and he was on his way to Alabama. He was a much braver, braver man than me. No way I'm going to Alabama or Mississippi in the 60s. Just no way. But 
That's why we still talk about him today. <laughs> so, see, he's on his way to Alabama, and nine, 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 nine pastors in Alabama wrote a letter to him. Nine white pastors in Alabama wrote a letter to him and said, thank you, but no thank you, do not come here. Fellow laborers in the gospel. Billy Graham, you may have heard of him too, publicly discouraged Dr. King's efforts. Dr. King, who he was, went to Alabama anyway and got arrested. And then he wrote and he, he penned this now famous letters from a Birmingham jail. Must read. Must read. Letters from a Birmingham jail. Explaining why his uh, uh, white um, co-laborers in the gospel should not only be, uh, shouldn't have been discouraging him, but should have been joining in with protesting this injustice. See, our country has, um, the, the, the church in America has some racial boogeyman, a lot of skeletons in the closet. Years and years and years of, again, on the black side, just flat out unforgiveness unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment. And I've talked to a couple pastors. I'm like, I don't know, but the Bible kind of says something about forgiveness. Just putting it out there. <laughs> Just putting it out there. But there is something about forgiveness. And reconciliation takes both sides. So I'm not exalting the black church or, or black people who basically say, I don't want to have anything to do with the white church. I don't have anything to do with white evangelicals. I'm not exalting them at all. But again, the, 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 the church in our country has done a very poor job of representing this oneness that Jesus died for and that Jesus created, this one new man. But can you imagine the witness? Just I'm a, I'm a church planner, so I'm an idealistic person, I guess. <laughs> can you imagine the witness that uh, uh, the church in America would have if we looked like this one new man? Can, can you imagine that when we spoke against injustice, it wouldn't be a rolling of the eyes? Because I'm going to be honest, a lot of times when I hear pastors speak on injustice, I roll my eyes and suck my teeth. Because what are you doing about it? Your church is all black. Your church is all white. What are you doing? Again, other than opening up your big mouth. But just imagine, just imagine the witness that the body of Christ could have in a, in, a, in a country that's getting more and more divided racially, more and more divided on class. Can you imagine the witness? Can you imagine the power of the witness that we would have of people, if, if people of both political leanings, both political leanings disagreed peacefully and still showed Christian love, still showed the love of Christ? As opposed to ripping each other to shreds on social media. Can, can you imagine the witness? Imagine the power if people from various socioeconomic levels, the richest of the rich and the poor of the per poor, did life and did church, did Jesus together. Kind of sounds like the book of Acts. But just imagine the, the, the witness we could have. Imagine if 
our country saw people of all races and all ethnicities coming together, having hard conversations, having awkward conversations, saying, saying things that offend each other, tripping and stumbling over each other for the sake of Jesus, for the glory of God. Can you imagine? Imagine the power that that would have. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. He said, he said I, 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 it's not just about you. He said, I'm reaching. I'm reaching to the Gentile, and I'm saving them, and I'm going to put them together. Romans said, uh, uh, he said he, we, he engrafted the wild branch. Now we're one. But just imagine if we actually were one. Who are you walking with? that you have nothing in common with other than Jesus? Who are you doing life with? Who are you sharing your life, sharing your time with, that the only thing you have in common is Jesus? Are you willing to learn from somebody different from you? Are you willing to learn from someone less educated than you? What are you doing to, 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 uh, to foster racial reconciliation in the church of Jesus Christ? As Dr. King and many others have said, it's the most segregated time of the year is this time of year, is this time of day. The most segregated time is Sundays at 11 o'clock. What are you doing to bridge that gap? Or do you just assimilate with people that vote like you, look like you, same tax bracket as you? That's easy. <laughs> Following Christ isn't supposed to be easy and won't be easy. He said, I want one new man. He said, I came for one new man. I'm just crazy enough to believe that if we were willing to all own our sin, own our ignorance, own our lack of understanding each other, and truly said, only thing we have in common is Christ. Now let's talk about this. Let, let, let's have hard conversations. Explain to me why you are offended when this happens. Explain to me what it means and what it's like to be a black man in America. Explain to me what it's like to be a white man in America. Explain to me what it's like uh, to live as a white woman in America. Let me into your world. Can you just imagine we would really be able to speak against issues and not just have words, but we able to affect change and heal old wounds. Heal old wounds. There are hundred year old wounds that the body of, of Christ in America is walking around with. And we're still packing buildings, having awesome services, but those wounds, those wounds are still there. In conclusion, I want to fast forward to the end. I want to fast forward to the end. Um, Restore Church, uh, which I'm at now currently while I'm in the process of planting, 
Uh, this was a, a key scripture that uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor Cleet clinged to and, and, and held on to in the process of church planning. The man literally has a scripture tattooed on his arm. <laughs> Mike does. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. This is, again, this is the end. This is, let's just fast forward to the end. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. And, he's, and, and he says, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were robed in white with palm branches in their hands. And they cried aloud with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Again, in this eternal kingdom that, that, that Christ is building every day, there's every shade, every hue, every, every social economic level, every political leaning, I saw him, and, and it was, and no man could number the number. And they were united. What were they united under? Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Who was this Lamb? Who was this Lamb that John saw? Who was this Lamb? Revelation chapter 13, verse 8 says Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. When, when, when John, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming in John chapter 1, verse 29, he said, Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is this lamb. Jesus is the lamb. Jesus left his, uh, left his home in heaven, left his heavenly home was born to a poor teenage mother, lived a sinless life that we couldn't live, died the sacrificial death that we could not pay, was tortured, was, was, was on the cross, was forsaken by God. The, the, the father that he enjoyed communion with throughout all of eternity was temporarily separated and forsaken by God so we would not have to be forsaken throughout eternity. Jesus is this lamb that they saw. Jesus paid the price and suffered the consequences for our sin and for our disobedience. The wrath of God was, was, was coming toward us like a Mack truck and Jesus stepped in the way. Our, 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 all, of our, all of our sin debt was so much that we couldn't pay it that God himself had to leave heaven, put on a human suit, and pay for our sins, for our salvation. That's why he said salvation belongs to our God because all of our salvation comes from him. But what always blows me away is he said every nation, every language, Every people. If we're going to spend all of eternity with each other, 
Wouldn't it be kind of good if we spent some time together on earth? If we're, if, again, they were worshiping. If, 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 if they got together and worshiped the lamb, if that's what we're going to be doing for all eternity, all people, black, white, whatever, uh, Asian, whatever, if, if, if we're going to be worshiping with the, uh, the, the lamb of God throughout all eternity, kind of cool if we started that now. Father, thank you that you sent your son to be the lamb of God that takes away our sins, to be the one who paid the price and suffered your wrath. Thank you that he paid the price we couldn't pay and lived the perfect life we could not live. Thank you for Jesus being our lamb. Father, thank you that you not only saved us, but you've given us your spirit. And your spirit is, is coming to our lives to propel us to mission and to send us out to do great things. Lord, forgive us of our passivity. Forgive us of, of making excuses and finding everything else important other than showing and telling you to a lost and dying world, Lord. Father, I ask even now that by your spirit you begin to place people on our hearts to attempt to show and tell Christ to, to establish a relationship, to preach your gospel message to. Father, I also ask that you open doors for tough conversations about race, about ethnicity, about class, that you open doors, that we'll, that we'll be willing to have tough conversations that we'll be, be, be willing to, to build bridges. Father, we're going to spend all of eternity with each other. We, 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 we might as well try to get it together on earth, Lord. To bring you glory, to be this one new man. We love you, we praise you, and thank you for all that you're doing. In Christ's name, amen.